0: your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has done So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the the first Jemima, Jemima. The second Kaziah, and the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations. And Job died, old and full of days. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank you. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you this day, that as we finish up this series, as we finish looking into this book of Job, you would continue to open our hearts and minds to not only know you, but to trust you, to risk our lives, to love you, our neighbors, and this whole creation. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take out your notes page as we get started today. As always, you will find... In it, our scripture lesson for the day that you can mark up as you please, as well as some notes that I have pulled out of this sermon. Uh, but you are more than uh, will, uh, you are more than able to add notes as well as you go along. Just those thoughts and ideas that stick with you from this message to take out into the world for your daily devotion time, or as you seek to share this message with others. You know, in 2013, I had uh, surgery to reconstruct my left ACL after I had torn it uh, in a bicycle accident in Washington, D.C. when I was returning from class downtown one day. I remember the healing process was uh, long and tough. I had actually torn my ACL in October. That was when the accident was, and uh, thank God it was really just a torn ACL, a, a torn MCL uh, and a just a bone bruise and a minor stress fracture. That was that was it. Um, but I remember I didn't have the surgery until May of 2013. And then even after the surgery, it took about six months of physical therapy before I was able to graduate from physical therapy. And as a matter of added perspective, I still have difficulties with it today because uh, the graft that they put in did not actually uh, is, isn't tight, and I have a loose ACL and friends. it provides all sorts of problems beyond just being uh, a man with old knees who runs on asphalt. Uh, but to say that healing can be difficult, and healing is not without its ups and downs. My struggles with my knees have been my entire life, again, for uh, even someone who feels And looks young to have knees that are in the ages of 60 years old with running on pavement. But you know what? Healing is an important step in the process. Because in healing, we grow and we learn more about ourselves and the inherent risks associated with healing and living as we move forward into our future. And seeing that the suffering that we needed healing from ended up producing faithful endurance. Now, this is not to say that the scars of our pain will not be around. I I, I firmly believe that we always carry scars with us every day of our lives, but we find manners and means to cope with them as we seek to continue to live our lives. You see, living cannot And should not stop just because of pain and suffering in our lives. And I think there is a deep grief when there is a sense in which someone feels like they cannot live anymore. But pain and grief, the healing that can take place from them, teaches us how to live our lives in the midst of that pain and grief. For it was Paul in Romans 5 who who tells us, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Right? What a weird thing for Paul to say. But Paul goes on saying, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, as we move into this final sermon, I want to be clear about one thing, and I want to continue to remind us of this, because if we are to ever heal in the midst of suffering, we have to name and know and believe in this inherent fact that, again, suffering is a part of our interaction with creation, not a part of our interaction with God. Right? We do not believe that God causes our suffering. Suffering is a part of our interaction with creation. Because we interact with a chaotic and broken world, we experience suffering from the natural and the social world. That is that we experience suffering because of things that we do. We unfortunately experience suffering because of the actions of other people. And unfortunately, and in the hardest to reconcile cases... We even experience suffering from events that occur from natural chaos, natural disasters as we often call them. And we have journeyed along this path, looking at this manner of suffering, looking at the ways in which we as humans respond to suffering, and looking at the ways in which God responds to suffering. And as we have gone through this series and explored these different things, we have come to this final week, not asking the question, why does suffering happen? Because as I've mentioned before, I think the answer is going to cause more questions. Also, we find here in Job that there is no concrete answer for suffering. And when we focus on the question, why is there suffering? Why do people suffer? Why do good people suffer? We often miss the point of what God is trying to do. Is that God, in the midst of our suffering, is seeking to bring healing. So as we enter this final week of Job, and we enter this final last section, this epilogue of Job... We reflect on this matter of healing and what it looks like for us to love again and to trust God when our perspective on not just God but the world has changed so dramatically based off of our experiences. You see, when we look at this biblical figure of Job, we only see Job in this one instance in his life. But as many of us assume here, we see Job both at his best, or sorry, not both, but we see Job at his best, at his worst, and then at his best again. And we get an idea of what it looks like to grow both in the midst of and out of suffering. We look at what it means to suffer and to go through terrible tragedy in our lives and then to come and to continue and to keep and to even strengthen our faith in God. In these last 11 verses in Job, we see the outcome of Job's conversations with God. And we see what happens both to Job and his friends. Now, to be clear at the onset, we have to name that the work Job engages in with these verses. Right? When we read these verses, we clearly see that, yes, Job is being blessed by God. But we have to also name very quickly, on the other hand, that none of this blessing occurs without the work that Job puts in. We must look at and see both the way in which Job chooses to fully live and to fully trust God in that living. I don't think that Job thinks his life will ever be perfect for the rest of his days. I don't think we go into verse seven to 17 and we think, okay, Job has healed from his suffering and we read those last handful of verses and we see all these great things that are happening to Job and we don't think, oh, well, Job's moved past everything. I don't think it benefits us to think that way, right? Because Job has been through some traumatic experiences and I think if we're honest with ourselves and we take in our understandings of human suffering, I think that we can name that Job probably has a little bit of PTSD, right? If we read chapter 1 and 2, Job has been through some traumatic events. And to think that Job has completely and fully moved to a place where he does not think that anything bad will happen to him the rest of his days, I think is blinding for us as readers. But what is important, what we do tease out of here, is even in the midst of that, Job sees fit to trust God, Job has come to trust and understand that in God, Job can find healing and Job can look for the blessings in his life. The pain is never gone, but Job is learning to live with the pain and to trust that God is in relationship in a way that seeks to work through Job's pain. Let's dive in and look at how we may know this is the case, right? So let's take, for example, Job's children. So pop quiz. Does anybody remember how many kids Job had in chapter 1? It's all right. I had to actually go back and look, look it up when I was writing the sermon. So don't feel bad. Job had seven sons and three daughters in chapter 1. That's in, we learned that in chapter 1, verse 2. And then in verses 18 and 19 in chapter 1, all 10 of them die. Now... In chapter 42, verse 13, what are we told? That in the aftermath of Job's suffering, Job has seven sons and three daughters. And here's the cool thing. We even get a little bit of insight into the amazement and the blessing that Job receives in the aftermath of his suffering, right? Job receives not only three daughters, but Job receives three daughters who are beautiful, who are intelligent, who are wonderful and great daughters that he sees fit to offer an inheritance to them. Something that is not often offered to the women in the in biblical families, but is only passed through to the sons. Now, I have never lost a child. I don't know if anybody in here or joining us online has ever lost a child, but I've had conversations with people who have lost kids. And I know that recovering from that and having children... Whether the children were born before the loss of a child or after the loss of a child, it is no easy feat to care for those children in the midst of such a close and connected loss. In fact, many parents who lose a child, whether it is uh, they lose the child before it is born, whether it is a stillbirth or, or whether they lose the child to some terrible tragedy, some health tragedy, some other tragedy, even trying to conceive another child can feel unfathomable. And yet, in the midst of the pain of losing all ten of his children, Job has trusted God in such a way that he is willing to risk love in such a way to have ten more children, to repair the relationship with his wife, and to bring in these new young people who will grow and Job will see all of these great-grandchildren into the world. And in the story of loss that is in Job's life, that he would be able to pass on that gist, gift of life to his children. Yes, it's Job's willingness to trust God and creation in such a way that he would feel comfortable to engage in these sorts of relationships again. This is what healing looks like. Now, for us, it's a it's a lot messier, right? For us, it's a lot messier. There is no question that Job experience, experiences blessing in the latter part of his life after he goes through this pain and this heartache. But it is his relationship with God and, and the relationship with his community that he will rebuild that leads him to take this risk to live and to love in this way again. Bottom line, Job trusts. Job trusts God. Right? That's what we talked about last week. That's what God was calling us to that even in the midst of all these terrible and bad things that happen in our lives, Job comes to trust God again. And even so as we move in on in this chapter in chapter 42, that Job trusts his friends again because Job's friends have gone through this same image of suffering that Job has, right? Job's friends, they haven't gone through it directly, but they have seen their friend Job. And we are going to see that they even have another level of suffering because of the way in which they responded to suffering. Right? We read that God, after God has this conversation with Job, right, God then goes and has a conversation with Eliphaz. And God tells Eliphaz, you know what? I'm not too happy with you. Because you know what? You didn't speak in the correct way about me because you didn't speak to me. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to reconcile your relationship with Job. And in so doing, reconcile your relationship with me. Right? This is what, Job, this is what God says to Job. He says, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Well, what does Job do that's different than his friends? Right? We are reminded that as we discuss the human responses to suffering, we noted there were two ways that suffering was noted in a human response in this passage. There was the way in which Job's friends talked about God, right? Job's friends talked about God. And what did Job do? Job talked to God right? Job's friends talked about God, and Job talked to God. And in so doing, we see what is the difference here between Job and his friends? What is the difference between Job and his friends, Right, because we named this this healing process of lament, and we saw the way in which God was like, whoa, whoa, Job, Whoa, whoa, you've asked me some very deep questions. You've said some very interesting things to me, and I want to show you some stuff so that I can teach you some things, right? Job didn't say everything right, right? We we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Job did not say everything right, but what did Job do, right? It is less about the content of what Job offers, and it is more the fact about Job's honest reaction to God. Rather than his friend's simplistic understanding of God. You see, ultimately God offers grace and reconciliation to Job's friends as they are able to encounter God in their own narrative. And so we see the nature in which healing happens both within the individual and within the community. And it is the reconciliation of all of these. It is the redemption of all of these relationships, both Job's relationship with God, Job's relationship with his friends, and Job's relationship with his family that shows and teaches us what it means to heal. This is the healing work that we all engage in in our own faith. Then, as we heal, not when, not when, but as we heal, we take risks. And I call this risk-taking, right? Your pastor is naming this risk-taking, and this is risky stuff. Because inherently, the suffering we have experienced leaves scars, right? How many here have ever had a surgery? Surgery of any kind. How many still have scars from those surgeries? Yeah. Friends, pain, grief, suffering, they leave scars. Right? That's just an outward scar that a lot of us carry. I've got one here on my collarbone. I've got a couple of tiny incision marks on my knee. Some of us carry scars that are not visible in such a way. Some of us have inward scars that are deep inside of us. Scars we will probably have for the rest of our lives. And here's the thing, scars often don't heal, but we learn to heal with the scars. Our lives are changed and transformed by those experiences, and it's how we move forward, both as an individual in our faith with God and as a community in our faith in God, that defines how we continue to live. Now, for me, I often think that the end of Job is far too happy. It feels a little unrealistic. Because in real life, sometimes suffering is followed by more suffering. And sometimes there's a period of happiness, and then there's another period of suffering again. But you know what Job does teach us and does exemplify for us? Is that in the midst of healing and comfort and hope, in the midst of all of that, they are all possible when we move in relationship with God. It shows us that God finds favor in our healing work. God finds favor in our relationship with God, in our relationship with community. And so it is in that way that we heal with the scars and that we begin to focus less on the scars, right? I mean, the scars are going to be there, and unfortunately, they may pop back up in our lives, but it is the focus on the blessings in our lives because that's what's happening at the end of Job. I cannot, nor can anyone in this room, nor can anybody on the face of this earth, tell us anything that happened in the rest of Job's life other than what is recorded in Scripture. And I think it's foolish of us to say that Job never had another bad day, especially considering he lived 140 years. But I think the focus on the good in Job's life in those last 11 verses is to show us that healing can take place. When we look for God's blessing in our lives, that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, again, doesn't mean we ignore the scars, but it means that we look for God's blessing. It means that when we're having a rough day, that we look for the ways in which God is working within us to heal us, to bring about that sense of blessing in our lives. Now, we have all just gone through probably one of the most traumatic experiences to impact all of humanity, right? This global pandemic, it has. this virus has infected over 180 million people across the world. It's killed over 4 million people across the globe. But it has been so much more than that. It has not just been physical death. But there have been social and psychological effects that have come out of this as well. Whether we're talking about PTSD for frontline workers, the toll that our treatment of the pandemic has had on personal relationships when we disagreed on things, no matter what we think, friends, we have been through a traumatic period in our lives as humans. And by this point, by this point, a year and a half in, each and every one of us has probably been impacted in some way by some kind of trauma related to this pandemic. But at this point, again, a year and a half in, we see ourselves hopefully prayerfully coming out on the other end of this pandemic. And we must acknowledge, yes, the hurt and the pain that has been caused and then find a way to find healing in the midst of that pain. We do this with the understanding that it does not mean that we have completely emerged. It does not mean that we have solved all of the issues. But it means that as a human people, as people of faith, who have faith in God, we find ways to heal the scars that this pandemic has created and even that this pandemic has highlighted in our world. Even in the midst of all of this, we trust that God is working within each and every one of us. We trust in the order and creation and justice that God offers to each and every one of us, keeping our eyes open for God's blessing and the healing that can take place. It's reconciling relationships. It's finding comfort in our loss. And it's finding ways to move forward as a society that values both human life and creation itself. This last chapter focuses on the good. And so we as interpreters of Scripture can look at it and imagine the writer focused on the good because that is what Job himself focused on. And I'm sure Job had bad days because as I said before, I'm sure that Job had his own PTSD and a myriad of other thoughts swirling around in his head. But now, after going what he went through, going through what he went through, he is more spiritually equipped to move forward. And having read Job, hopefully so are we. Job is not a story of perfection. Job is not a story of answers of suffering. It points us to a reliance on the loving grace of God that will blanket us, that can give us shining moments of understanding God's grace that we carry with us in the deep and dark times. That's something that Job didn't have at the beginning of this book. And it's the wisdom and knowledge that Job gains as he seeks to be in relationship with God. This is how the story of Job ends. And this is how we wrap up our sermon series. Because Job has moved from treating God transactionally to treating God spiritually. And knowing that God is there and that Job trusts the work that God is doing, not just in the life of Job, but in the life of creation. Job has been enlightened and showed God's caring heart and has committed to risking his manner of safety, complacency, and in some ways, his own human understanding of happiness for a divine understanding of happiness and blessing. His blessing is laid out tangibly for us, but we can see and feel that for Job, it is so much more than that. For us to experience this, And for us to live in this risky manner with pain and suffering, seemingly around every corner, we must trust God and trust that God is watching over us. No one said this will be easy because it is with God's help and trusting God that we get to this point. And sometimes it is in looking at the pain and grief we have in our lives and calling on God to show us to journey with God through this time that we come to this manner of trusting in God, that we can find ways to live that life and bring it to the world and heal. Heal not just our own pain, but heal the pains of creation as well. We must be willing to risk as a manner of lifelong journey of healing. Amen.
1: I was listening to a radio sermon by Chuck Swindoll last Monday while I was driving home from Pennsylvania after a visit with my parents. In it, he was posing the question of whether God gives us things. He told a story about when he was in college. As a young married man, he and his wife struggled to make ends meet. She landed a meager job um, <clears throat> while he studied. The, the, the money coming barely made their ends meet and hardly touched paying for his tuition. And despite the financial troubles, he and his wife still dreamed of ministry. They decided together that they would keep it between themselves and God and just pray on it. One day, he went to the college office to put some money towards his tuition. To his shock, he was told that his t- tuition was paid in full for as long as he would be attending. Now he quipped, look, I realize my name is Swindoll, but tell me what's going on. Uh, So he came to find out that he and 17 others were gifted tuition by an anonymous donor. And he felt that God had given it to him. And he went on to use the gift to its utmost. From there, he said that God gives to us those things who are gives to those who earnestly seek and ask. But he illustrated it this way. He talked about how people fill their lives with the stuff of of this world to the point that God has no way of giving us anything and people have no way of receiving it. Their hands are full, he said. How can God give things to people when their hands are full? And how can people receive things when their hands are full? And I can relate this to grace. How can God give us grace, which is undeserved favor to anyone who believes or thinks they deserve it? These two ideas are incompatible. We have to empty ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our souls, to receive God's grace just as we need to rid ourselves of the notion that we deserve all manner of evil to be visited to us because of our, our sin, or that we need to rid ourselves of the notion that we deserve anything because we live a just life. It is not to say, come what may, this life doesn't matter, therefore what I do doesn't matter. No, it surely does. We are to embody Christ, whether in pain or pleasure, sickness or in health, uh, poverty or prosperity, it is, is, it, if that is our, our life's uh, physical result, God waits for us when we leave this life. Then and only then will we get what we truly deserve. Live your lives with empty hands and open souls so God can give you the only things worth having, salvation, grace, and peace. You know, we don't deserve them, but God offers us them all the same. Amen.